Have you been struggling with your spade cast? Have you ever wondered why you can't seem to get out the amount of line that you really want to and shoot the line like a pro? We are going to provide some of the biggest tips on the podcast today to self-diagnose your spade cast and get to the bottom of how to improve it. This is the new In the Bucket podcast with Brian Niska, and today I'm going to interview Brian so you know what to expect from the new podcast that's in the Wet Fly Swing Podcast Network right now. Hey, I'm Dave, host of the Wet Fly Swing Podcast, and I've been fly fishing since I was a kid. I grew up around a fly shop and have created one of the largest fly fishing podcasts and networks in the country. I've interviewed more of the greatest fly anglers than just about anyone in this country. Today, Brian Niska, owner of the Skeena Spay Wilderness Lodge and Spay Casting Master, is going to give us the seven things you need to check in on if you're struggling with your spay game. From how to improve the anchor to the sweep to the D loop and up to the forward cast, you're going to learn why your thumb placement is key, why slack is the enemy, and what proper acceleration looks like. Plus, you will find out what the number one reason is that your spade cast is not working as you'd like right now. Our newest podcast host, Brian Niska from InTheBucketPodcast.com. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing great today, Dave. Thanks for having me on to, to chat about this. I'm really excited about the show. Yeah, I am too. I think that it was pretty cool because the last time we had you on, um, I can't remember what episode, we'll put a link in the show notes to the episode, but we were talking about you know, I didn't say in the bucket podcast, right? I think we probably gave a, a note to your your website. Why don't you give a shout out to that? Where, where where are you if people want to track you down as far as your lodge and the program there? You bet. So there's a, a couple different ways folks can find me. Probably the easiest is is at skinaspay.com. And of course, uh, this new show, in the bucket podcast.com. Perfect. Good. Well, we're here today to announce something pretty amazing, which is a new podcast within kind of, you know, within the, uh, the Wet Fly Swing Network. Um, but I think this thing is definitely going to be standing on its own, you know, with what you have going. So we're going to talk about this podcast. It's going to be focused on everything you do up on the Skeena around spay and steelhead and all the different species. And then we'll probably give somebody, some folks, a few tips on spay today, because I know when we did our trip last year with you, you were back on the back deck, giving us the, the spay lesson there. And that was awesome. So, so first, let me just start, let me just right off the top, you're hosting this show. You've been on podcast before as a guest. What's it like to be a host of a new podcast? Oh man, it's exciting. I mean, to be fair, I've, uh, I haven't previous to this opportunity listened to a, a ton of podcasts, but since then I've been doing some research and, and I got to tell you, uh, what I've come to, to understand is that you are, you're a master in this field with uh, a, a tremendous volume of podcasts behind you. So I'm not looking to, to start from scratch. I'm looking to research and copy as much as possible and build upon the, the previous success of Wet Fly Swing and and help. I mean, it's a great community that you have here. And and I think what in the bucket is going to do is it's going to give the folks that are really interested in spay fishing and really interested in fishing for steelhead and salmon, especially on the West coast, an opportunity to, you know, to really dig down deep into the culture. And, and I think the culture is a big part of this because it's a special, it's different than a lot of fisheries. It's, it's a fishery that requires a fair amount of effort. It's a fishery that requires a, a fair amount of luck. And what I mean by that is it's really driven by conditions. And there's a lot of comparisons here between fishing for steelhead and folks that are looking to ski and snowboard and powder snow. You don't always have those conditions. So you become a watcher of the weather. And to be a 
to be a, an accomplished steelheader, you've got the days when water conditions are tough and the river's not doing what you want it to do. And then you've got the days that everything lines up nicely and you really need to experience both to appreciate it. So I think that this is as much going to be a support group for, for West Coast steelheaders as, as anything else. But I got to tell you, Dave, uh, the conversations I've had with people so far have have been well outside of the realm of just steelheading. I uh, I recently had a, a great in-depth conversation about carp fishing with some folks. So yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. And I, I would encourage anybody who has any interest at all in spay casting or steelhead fishing to, to give it a chance. Perfect. Yeah, this is great. And I think that, so we've already, you've already uh, put together a few episodes that are done. So the way this is working now, as this goes out, these episodes are going to be scheduled out over the next uh, few months. So people will be getting that, but I think it's cool. And also, so people know the way this works behind the scenes with the podcast is that we have a podcast feed for the wet fly swing uh, show and your show, the littoral zone. And right now the great lakes dude podcasts are all within the same feed. So basically everybody listening here gets all these episodes out. The difference is, is that over, you know, over time we could pop this out as its own standalone episode or podcast, right. With its own feed. And, and so that might be down the line. If you, you know, if that works, if that's something we want to get into, we can do it. But right now, just so people know, we want to be clear. Everybody listening is going to be hearing your show, but through this, through all the, the podcast episodes we have going and it's been working great, I think, because for me, my goal is to have the best content on the podcast. And I feel like you have all these people you can bring on that, you know, that I would never have even thought about some of them I had on, but and then, and then the way you interview, because these are multiple, talk about that. You have multiple people on this episode. Has that been difficult or has that been easy for you? Yeah, I think it's perhaps somewhat unique. Um, the concept is, is I'm not just talking to one person. Some episodes I have two guests and some episodes I have three guests. And the goal is to have, you know, a real conversation like you might around the bar at the, at the end of the day of fishing at the lodge or, or sitting around the campfire. That's what we're going for here is, you know, to, to take these folks who are really passionate about, you know, swinging flies and some of them, you know, some of them know each other that I've put on together. And some of them are, are people that maybe have, you know, some, some friends in common. So they have an awareness of each other, but they've never met before. And yeah, it's so far, it's been really interesting that way. And I, and I got to tell you, I love, uh, I love a good comparison, like an analogy. And, and what I've always enjoyed, cause I have friends from, you know, a variety of different areas, ski friends, fishing friends, work friends, whatever. And it, it's fun to put together like dinner parties, bring groups of folks together who maybe haven't met before and, and, you know, they basically create new friendships. So that's kind of how this has gone so far is, you know, people from different parts of the world too. My, my last show, I had a gentleman, well-known fly tire from England. I had, uh, you know, a really well-known fishing industry guy from Oregon and I had a super unknown guy from Squamish who's a hardcore fisherman, but he's not in the industry at all. And that is really part of the, in the bucket concept is, yeah, you're, you're going to hear from the the guides here. You're going to hear from the, the commercial fly tires. You're going to hear from the casting instructors, but you're also going to meet some regular people that just love to fish. And we're going to put them on the same show together and, and see how it goes. And that's, that's the concept of in the bucket. The other thing I want to mention is some of these people are, are going to be repeat guests. You're going to hopefully have them on multiple episodes paired with different people for different conversations. And, you know, yeah, okay. I ask some questions I'm interviewing, I suppose, but as much as possible, I'm going to do my best to stay out of the way and, and just let the conversation happen. Like I said, the same way it would around a campfire. 
Yeah, that's perfect. Yeah, that's, I always think about my show. I think yours is going to be a little bit different, but I always feel like my goal is to ask, um, to talk the least amount I can and let the, the guests just really do, because that's really what I want to hear, you know, and that's what I'm interested in as well. But so what is in the bucket? Let's talk about that a little bit in the bucket. For those that don't know, I'm sure a lot of steelhead anglers kind of know what that is, but we're, you came up with that name. What does that mean to you? Yeah. When we first started talking about the show concept, uh, the first name that I threw at you was Cast and Blast because I used to do a, a fly fishing festival in Squamish. And in, in many ways, the, the concept was similar because Cast and Blast was about bringing experts in to do casting, fly tying seminars, slideshows. There was a, a movie festival. There was a whole bunch of stuff with really well-respected industry people, but everybody was invited. So this was an opportunity for... Joe Bag of Donuts fisherman to come and, and actually have a conversation with people who were considered celebrity types and hang out for the weekend. So that was the concept of, of Cast and Blast. And, you know, I, I guess I, I started out with a lazy, lazy name of let's call it Cast and Blast, but that's a tricky one because you say that and people start thinking hunting. So the second name we came up with was In the Bucket, which I guess if you don't fish might not mean much to you, but if you do fish, you understand exactly what it means. If the guide says, Hey, walk down there past that, that tree that's against the, the bank there and get yourself in the bucket. Right. It means, it means you're in the spot where you expect something good's to happen. So that's where the name came from. Yep. Yeah. That's it. That's it. I think it, I think it's perfect because, and it's not going to be, I think like we would talk, this isn't going to be just a steelhead, uh, you know, kind of focused thing. Maybe talk about where you are for those. Again, there might be some new listeners here. Talk about where you are on the Skeena and then also talk about maybe some of the different species and topics you might be talking about on the show. Yeah. So I'm a, a full, full-time resident of Terrace, BC right now. We have a, a lodge called Skeena Spay and it is uh, right on the main stem Skeena, just upstream from the, the confluence where the copper comes into the Skeena. So, you know, the majority of my fishing these days is the main stem skeena, and that's certainly what we specialize in. The opportunity that the main stem skeena presents is, is one of fish quality. We're able to target these fish that are heading to tributaries like the Kispiox, the Babine, the Bulkley, etc. We get first crack at those fish from, from tidewater, you know, up to our place and a little bit beyond. So this is the fishery that I'm most excited about, and it's, you know, it's, it's what we're doing on a daily basis. The show itself, well, it is very much focused on steelhead. And I think pretty much every guest you're going to meet on in the bucket will be a steelheader. It, it certainly is bigger than that. And part of the whole idea of just having a, a natural conversation with people is other stuff comes up. I previously said, you know, we had a great conversation about carp fishing. Uh, but we've also, in the episodes I've done so far, talked about photography, talked about skiing and snowboarding. Uh, talked about a variety of, of different fisheries ranging from, you know, Iceland to South America. So it's, you know, people who love to fish, they just want to learn more. And In the Bucket presents an opportunity to get to know some of the folks that have made innovations such as, you know, line systems and flies and casting. And also at the same time, talk to people who have some pretty interesting fish stories about, you know, fishing places you've always dreamed of fishing. So I think... Moving forward, what I would love to to see happen with with my guest selection is really continuing this idea of mixing in the you know the well known industry experts with the the people that are just real passionate anglers and and having these conversations because we all have that in common that we all we all love the chance of maybe getting a fish to bite. 
Yeah. And I love it too, but I think it's adding more value because, you know, and this is, it's you as the host, right? I mean, I could be interviewing these people too, but I think you bring a whole different perspective. I mean, you are essentially, you're the guru, you know, this area, like the first time I know when we did the podcast, I was just looking at the numbers the other day. Like I told telling you about that. How long do people listen? That first episode we did, I think it was the first or second one. I think people listened to 110% of it, which means people came back and re-listened to it, you know, to show you. So what you're talking about resonates. And I think that the cool thing is, is that you're bringing all that knowledge you have of years of, of spay fishing and you're asking these other experts these questions, right? So do you find yourself, does that, it sounds like, I mean, I, I've heard the first episode, so I know how great, or the second episode is coming. I know how great it is. So I think you have a natural skill working with people, but is that a challenge for you to have these people on and make sure that you're not leaving anybody else out? You're all working together on this. How, how does that feel when you're as the host? Great question. Um, to be fair, every person that's appeared on the, the show so far and will be, I think, pretty much for the first season is someone who I have a, a friendship with. So the conversations come easy. The, the other thing is a lot of these folks are people that have fished fished with us at the lodge or fished with me in other places. So we, we can have, you know, conversations about these fisheries and remember specific days. One of the episodes talks about some fishing in Alaska and kind of this, this strange set of circumstances that created this opportunity that was maybe a once in a lifetime thing with, uh, King salmon fishing. So that's something to look forward to, uh, for folks that oh, are listening nice. that, that that's an episode with, uh, Stu talking to Stu Foxall and Eric Leininger and Scoot Mason. Yeah. Good. So this is good. I'm excited about that. So this will be, like we said, we're going to be releasing these out for over a few months. So people will be able to get their hands on that eventually. Um, and I'm excited about that because Chinook is a huge, I mean, right. It's a, you have spe the Chinook fishing on the Skeena, right. Is, is one of those species that people are coming up there for. Do you think as far as species wise, steelhead, I'm guessing is number one. What are the species that people are fishing on the steelhead or on the Skeena? as far as priorities. You bet. So, you know, without getting too deep into politics right now, we haven't had a, a Chinook fishing opportunity on the Skeena for a few years. Hopefully we we do again, maybe could be this year. We do fish for Chinook on the Kitimat River, which is, you know, fairly close to the lodge. I was fortunate enough to do 13 weeks in Alaska on the Connectalk fishing for Chinook salmon or kings as, as Americans would call them. And, you know, certainly fish and salmon in other places like, uh, like the Dean. If you'd asked me five or six years ago, what my favorite was, I would have told you it was King salmon or, or Chinook. I absolutely would for, for a variety of reasons. Since then, I'm going to tell you that I've, I've, I've switched back to steelheading. And I think the, the reason that I prefer steelhead fishing is it's such a, uh, let's call it a, let's call it a, I'm trying to do this politely. Let's call it a, a mental task. You know, the fish don't typically show themselves much. We believe that they're going to be close to us in shallow water. We believe they're going to like the fly that we've put out there. But we're not getting a lot of positive reinforcement on that until a fish actually grabs the fly. So there's a real mental game to that. Chinook fishing, king salmon, is, is a little different because usually you know they're there because you, you see them. They show themselves on the surface more. The challenge with, with Chinook King fishing is, is really, you know, you need to be a good caster. And if the wind is up, if you're using big flies, if you're using heavy tips, 
casting skill really comes into play. So Steelhead is a little bit more attainable for people of a wide variety of ability levels, whereas, you know, Chinook fishing, you know, if you can wade a little deeper and throw it a little further and throw heavier stuff, you know, your chances of, of being lucky go up exponentially. So I, I think I like that about steelheading. And the other thing I'll say about steelheading is the times of year when we do it. So Chinook fishing typically takes place either on the front side of freshet or more typically on the back side of freshet. So what this means is, you know, for most places that's going to be like June. So, you know, right in the, the longest days of the year, whereas steelhead fishing, you know, for us on the Skeena, it starts in the summer. You know, sometimes we're fishing in shorts, wet wading. But the time of year that most people associate with steelhead fishing is kind of the last week of August, all of September, sometimes into October. So autumn, it's a beautiful time of year. Aesthetically, the leaves are changing on the trees. There's a Christmas in the air, a little bit of fog. You know, it's, it's, it's a nice time of year to be on the water. And then if you're crazy enough to fish for winter steelhead, then, I mean, that's, that's when you're going to get sideways rain mixed with snow and ice on the bank and cold feet. It, it's a bit of a suffer fest, but I think part of the attraction of winter steelheading is, yeah, it's hard and it's hard to just participate in it because it's, you know, it's cold out, but you know, there's that whole thing when you come back to the lodge at the end of the day to the warm fire and you know, the camaraderie of, of everybody putting the time in and respecting that if you're going to fish for winter steelhead, regardless of where you're doing it, it requires a certain level of commitment. And that level of commitment is, is once again, similar to what you might find in people who are backcountry skiers and snowboarders. And this has been an interesting thing within the bucket so far. And I, I suppose I knew it going into it, but there's a ton of folks out there who really take their skiing and snowboarding serious, but also take their steelhead fishing serious. And in the bucket so far, you know, we've done a pretty deep dive into, you know, what drives those folks to be you know, so driven to, you know, to, to pursue these fish. And what we've learned from that is if you're really serious about winter steelheading, you are going to find as much time as possible to participate. You know, you're not, if you can avoid it, you're not going to be a guy who fishes once every couple of weeks. You're going to, you're going to be out there every day that you can. So that's, you know, in the bucket, trying to be in the right place at the right time as much as possible. Yeah, and the, and the camaraderie and, you know, the culture, which is obviously evolving. It is. It is good. And I'm just curious, just for my own, because we were up there this last year, had a really cool trip. I mean, your lodge is amazing. The food is unbelievable, right? These The cabins, everything's uh, really cool. We fished, you know, we talked about kings, we talked about steelhead, coho. There were some pinks. What about sockeye? Is that a species up there? The other, is that something you guys catch ever up there? Yeah, great question. Sockeye are very plentiful and some years incredibly so. We don't tend to target sockeye. Sockeye is generally viewed as a, a harvest fishery. There are some folks that think sockeye won't take a fly honestly and you know they try and line them. This is quite common in Alaska. And if you don't know what lining means, it you know essentially you're getting the fish to bite onto the line and then boom, here comes the hook. Obviously that's not something we're doing, but sockeye will take a fly especially if it's not moving sideways too much. How we often encounter sockeye with our clients is kind of funny. So our guides spend a lot of time trying to improve people's casting skills. It's, it's probably the thing we're most well known for. 
And so someone might make a cast and then they swing the fly and then the guide has something to say. And so they're having a little conversation about the next cast and all of a sudden there's a fish on the line. So what we found is that sockeye will take the fly when it's just hanging on the dangle, just sort of sitting there in the current, they swim up and grab it more so than when we're actually swinging it. So it's, it's kind of a funny thing and it works out good because when you have people who are new to this and they can't cast a long way, sockeye run the bank very close. So that fly that just sort of flopped out there and, and swung in below them will be attractive to a sockeye. And of course, a, you know, it's a lovely fish to catch when you do, but from a business standpoint, we focus on, on steelhead, we focus on coho. And from a personal standpoint, I, I'm kind of on the same team fishing for steelhead as much as possible, liking to catch those big Northern coho. And when there are opportunities for Chinook, I'm, uh, I'm there. Yeah. That's right. That's right. And you could even toss the pinks in there because I know when we were up there, we got a couple takes that were, it was like, whoa, that was a strong take. It turned out to be a pink, but you're like, damn, I, you know, for a moment, right. I mean, if you get some of those hot pinks even, right. Well, this past year was one of the largest pink returns on record. Uh, they were everywhere and they were spread out over a long period of time. And for folks that have never caught a salmon, the pink will probably be the first one you catch because unlike the sockeye, they will happily chase down a a well-presented fly, and they do tend to sit in similar water to steelhead. So, you know, there's usually a fair amount of opportunity to catch pink salmon for people that are fishing the, the Skeena in August. Yeah, perfect. Um, well, we're going to be up there again this year, so I think we're going to obviously be talking about this, putting this together. We're probably going to be going a similar time, uh, kind of later in August, uh, and it'll be a, an amazing trip. I think hopefully, I think you're already talking to some people that are interested in doing it this year. Um, so we'll be back on that, but I want to keep it on this podcast in the bucket as we go here. Anything else you want to shed light on for people that just to get tell them what they have, what they can expect that's coming here, because I think you've already got a few episodes in the bucket that are kind of in the can, ready to go. But what else you looking ahead can they expect? Any? Do you know what other guests might be coming on or in the you know looking ahead? Yeah, um, as I mentioned, a lot of these guests are are guides that I I respect and fish with, and I think have a lot to offer the listeners. Um, I could give you a, a bit of a list, but I, I think in some ways I'd almost rather keep it a bit of a surprise. Yeah, I think so. That's a good idea. Yeah. Well, let's just tell us, tell us the next uh, episode that's coming. The first one. So this is number one. What would be number two? Who is on that episode? Yeah. Okay. So the, the next episode coming up is, is kind of a neat one. It has a very well-known pro skier named Kai Peterson, another pro skier, ex-pro skier named Riley LeBeau, and uh, a guy who's a true Whistler legend, Mr. Feet Banks and Feet uh, if his name sounds familiar, it's because, you know, he's done some podcasting himself. He's a writer. He's a filmmaker. He's also the editor of Mountain Life magazine. And this uh, this group of people fished with us last spring in March, and they made a, a short little movie. It's about 10 minutes long, about winter steelheading early season on the Skeena. So the the episode itself, we, we talked quite a bit about the filming of the movie and the trip. We also talked, of course, about about skiing. And Kai is a, uh, man, he's a, he's a real interesting dude because his, his father was perhaps one of the best known uh, free skiers in, in Western Canada. And, you know, Kai himself has, has gone on to great success. He's designed his own skis, he's made movies. And, you know, in my view, he's, he's the most stylish free skier out there. And, 
you know, he's he's built a career quietly around bagging these big descents and at the same time bringing an element of freestyle to the, you know, to the big mountains and has, you know, fairly recently taken up fishing. And as you can imagine, dove head first all the way in. He's, you know, he's a steelhead bum when he's not on the mountains. So he's on the accelerated learning curve and just a, a great guy to be on the water with. So we had, we had a really nice conversation, I think, about the similarities of big mountain skiing and and fishing. And, you know, for Kai in particular, the idea of exploration is really important. And I think a lot of people steelheading would share that feeling that, you know, what I want to see what's around the next bend. You know, what's how are you going to know what's out there? They're not the folks that wait for the fishing report to tell them that the fish are in and they should go. They, they want to be there first. So I think that's, a, you know, that's a mindset that, if you can pull it off is, is a great place to be as a steelheader. Perfect. Well, let's, let's jump into, I always, we teed this up at the start, but a few tips that we're going to give people to take away here on spay and we're going to, we keep this broad or, or go, you know, deep, but you can think about maybe some of the guests you've had on recently, or just talk about, again, you talked about a casting struggles. What are, what are a few tips you might give somebody listening to help them with their spay game this year? If they're thinking about heading out for steelhead. Yeah. So when it comes to casting, you know, the, there's obviously a lot of information out there. You can get on YouTube. Uh, most shops these days have lessons. The uh, the equipment that's available is is really easy to use. No one makes a bad rod. There's great line systems, and obviously, making sure your your setup's balanced is important. So, a lot of folks, what they're looking for, it seems, is the ability to to self diagnose their casting faults, and and I think that's important. But it's it's important also to understand that. A lot of times what you see is a product of something. So you're seeing the symptom rather than the actual casting fault. I'll, I'll give you a quick example. And I think I probably used this one before. As a casting instructor, we spend a lot of time asking people to slow down. You know, it's very rare for a casting instructor to tell their student to speed up, but usually tell people to slow down. But you got to understand why is the person adding speed to the cast at the point that they are. And when we spay cast, our goal is to keep the line tight. If we keep the line tight, we're going to keep load within the rod, which is a way of saying, keep the rod bent. We want the rod to stay bent. So the rod does the work for us to keep the rod loaded. We need the line to stay tight. So slack becomes the enemy. If we allow slack into the cast, that slack is not going to go away. It's going to be there all the way, you know, till we make the forward cast. So if you allow slack into the cast, whether it comes in, in the, the D loop or the turn at the back, that slack is going to cause you to feel a loss of load. And everybody's natural reaction when they feel load leaving the rod is to add speed. So yeah, to punch it. So if, if we have someone who is, you know, punching it, as you say, or adding power to the cast too soon, it's usually a product of letting slack in. So the simple way to fix it is to go back and find the place where the slack is getting into the cast, could be in the anchor right away, could be in the sweep and fix it there. And then they will understand and be better able to be patient with their power application. All, all fly casting, you know, your power application is progressive. It's an acceleration. And the load is going to, to leave the rod. The, the rod's going to start the cast when that acceleration stops, when, when the rod tip decelerates. So a great tip is, is to be aware of slack. And if you're struggling, the, the first stop is to look at your anchor position and say, okay, well, the anchor's in the right spot. We can talk it later at depth with, 
with anyone who's interested about proper anchor position, but I'll, I'll summarize it very quickly as saying in, in front of you and a rod length upstream or downstream, depending on which side of, of your body you're casting on. So is the anchor in the right spot? Yes, the anchor's in the right spot. What does the anchor look like? Is it, a, is it coming off the water as a straight line or is it a big pile? How does it hit the water? Does it touch down nicely like a plane or does it pile into the water? And if it piles into the water, you're going to end up with slack. So uh, casting's not working the way you want it to. First thing you're checking is, is your anchor. Okay, anchor is good, but the cast still isn't working. What is the next step? Okay, well, depending what spay cast you're doing, you're, you're going to have a setup move. And with, with all of those setup moves, you're, you're putting the anchor in the right spot, but you're also setting yourself up to begin the sweep. The sweep is the portion of the cast where we create load, where we create bend. Uh, typically the, the sweep is going to be about 180 degrees of travel, and it's going to finish with a, a straight line opposite to your intended target. So 180 degrees from your intended target. If you drop the rod in the sweep, so if the rod tip drops closer to the water, generally speaking, you're going to create some slack. You're going to have some, some extra line stuck to the water. That's the next thing to look for. And, and how we're going to do that is we're just going to watch the rod as we sweep. We're going to focus our eyes on the rod tip or perhaps more specifically on the overhanging running line. So eight to 10 inches of line outside the rod tip as we sweep. This is going to cause us to turn our body a little bit, which is good. This helps you know create rod load. Okay, so that looks pretty good, but we're still not getting the result we want. Okay, so now we're going to look at our D-loop. This is hard, hard to look at the D-loop. But what what I want to touch on, and hopefully people remember if, they, if they're out in the water after listening to this, is we don't want the line to be falling to the water. You can get away with the rod tip coming out flat at the end of the D, or sorry, as, as you enter the D, meaning that it's level, but it's a better place to start by lifting it up a bit then you know it's not dropping. So we come around in the sweep, everything's looking good. We allow the rod tip to rise up a little bit back, 180 degrees from the target. Okay, and this all looks good so far. Now the forward cast. And when we're talking about forward cast, we're talking about power application and trajectory, two things. So power application, as I said a few moments ago, it needs to be progressive. It's an acceleration and if we apply too much power too soon, we're going to know without looking because we're going to hear it. It's going to go whoosh, right? So, so we want to be a quiet caster as we come forward. The other thing is trajectory. Perhaps you've, Dave, you've heard people talk about, you know, chopping wood. You know, that, that, that suggests that the cast is, is finishing with a downward motion. We don't want that. We want the cast, the, the presentation cast, the forward stroke to go out on a little bit of a, an, an upward angle. We want to, you know, aim for the top of the trees on the other side of the river. And, and if we do these, these three things right, position the anchor, keep the slack out of line in the sweep, and, and then, you know, present the fly with the presentation cast, the forward stroke in a straight line aiming up, everything should work out. But if it doesn't, for any one reason, and if we're casting quiet, we don't see any slack anywhere, a lot of times it comes back to you know, this idea of casting in plane. And, and what I mean by that is when you cast your forward stroke, you want it to go out in a straight line. You don't want there to be any curve to it. And what happens with some people is, is especially if they're athletic and maybe they play baseball or tennis or what have you, is they tend to kind of round things out a little bit. So you can have no slack in the system. You can have a cast that, you know, isn't making a lot of noise. You feel like your power application is good, but it's still not giving you the result you want. 
it often has to do with being outside a plane. And here's the real simple thing for folks listening to make sure that you're casting in plane. So when you grip the rod, your spay rod, you're gonna you know, have your hands about, about shoulder width apart, holding on the rod. Put your, both your thumbs, thumb from each hand on top of the rod so they line up together, okay? And when you go into the back cast and you're getting ready to go forward, just have a look and see, are both of your thumbs, are your thumbnails facing back 180 degrees opposite your target? And do, are you able to keep that on the forward stroke? So if you can keep those thumbs, thumbnails lined up, then you won't have any rotation and guaranteed the cast is going to work. So once again, just to recap real quick, anchors in the right spot, keeping slack out of the, out of the, the cast in the, in the sweep and into the D and lining everything up so that you're casting in plane, meaning you're presenting the fly in a straight line, aiming it up a little bit towards the other side of the river. A lot of information there all at once, but, but the key thing here is to, uh, is, is to remember the order anchor first. Right? If the anchor's not in the right spot, any of the other crap I said isn't going to work for you. So you got to make sure anchor's in the right spot to begin with. Yeah, that's pretty well. I mean, that's right there is a masterclass. <laughs> so this is good. I mean, this is exactly why I think that your, that your past shows have done so well, because you have a, you have a good skill of in, in audio explaining stuff like casting, right? Fly tying. Those are not easy things to do over a podcast, but that's perfect. We're going to put that in. I'll summarize that for sure and get the, that in the show notes. Um, yeah, Brian, I think um, I'm feeling pretty good about this. Anything else you want to shed light on about the podcast, your your lodge, you know, this upcoming 2024, you, you know, you've got this, uh, I'm pretty excited because this, uh, this is going to be really awesome to see this thing grow and develop, but anything else we're missing here today? You want to give a shout out? No, I think the big thing for anybody who, uh, who's going to take the, uh, take the time to listen to In the Bucket it is to be aware that the people that they're listening to have good information to share, but unfortunately they're going to, or fortunately or unfortunately, they're going to have to listen to the whole episode to, to get that because the educational nuggets are going to be sprinkled in with some fish stories and, and hopefully a laugh or two. And, and once again, you know, the goal is as much as possible to make these conversations as very similar to what you might expect to have around a campfire on the side of the river. Yeah. And I think one of the cool things we do with uh, the podcast in the show notes is we put, uh, typically we'll have a, uh, a transcript that's in there. So every word that's spoken, so people can listen. And then if they want to, they can go search out and take out those nuggets, you know, if there's something specific. But I think I try to do the same thing, try to get a, I just like today. I mean, these things you just, you just put out here, these, you know, five or six tips. I mean, th those are the nuggets that I think are, are amazing. So, um, so cool, Brian. Well, I think we'll leave it there. We'll, we'll send everybody out to inthebucketpodcast.com. Um, if they want to listen and that'll be up and running and, uh, yeah, this is going to be a fun year. I appreciate you for doing this. I think that, um, the trip we did was always the start. I always, you know, when we do some of these, uh, hosted trips, I always start there. Like, how did it go? And I feel like it went pretty well. How, how do you feel like that trip went for on your end? It feels like you've done a lot of those, but you know, overall, how did that first year of us working with you go? Yeah. Well, you know, you get a group of people that don't necessarily know each other and they're, they're sort of on the same program together, which is different than our regular lodge guests. You know, most of our regular lodge guests book as a group of two. It's a husband and wife. It's a father and son. It's a couple of fishing buddies that always fish together. When you put together a group trip, you, you get people from all over who don't necessarily know each other, but in this situation, they have yourself in common. And, you know, I think we've talked about this before, but one of the things that's great about Wet Fly Swing Podcast is is your interview style. And the folks that have joined us 
on the trip through the website or through the podcast, you know, they all seem to have a real sense of community and in many ways, a relationship with yourself just from listening. So it, it was a group that, while they were very diverse and didn't necessarily know each other prior, they, I think they all came together really nice. And uh, hopefully we'll see some of them back again. And, and I look forward to getting more of the listeners out on the river. Awesome. Yeah. And I think we even had somebody, I'm trying to think now. Um, yeah, we had the winner, right? Who we're still chatting with. We actually were doing, we're doing a giveaway. We'll, we'll do this probably again this year as well. So that's the X factor. As we've been doing this, it's been fun because we've done a few of these around the country. And sometimes the winner definitely is like the person who might not have any experience. That person might have just entered into a giveaway. So that, that's kind of a fun part, uh, part of it too. But uh, good, Brian. Well, I will leave it there. I appreciate everything you're doing for the podcast and uh, definitely just excited to see how this thing uh, evolves. Right on, Dave. Well, hey, thank you very much for the opportunity. And uh, hopefully we'll get you back out on the river yourself this year. 